listening to the Carrero Podcast. I am Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. Today, our guest is Elizabeth Pistalka. Elizabeth is a third grade teacher in an inner city school in Orlando, Florida. She is committed to teaching in a safe and collaborative community that thrives on raising students to go above and beyond their educational goals through strategies that meet each and every individual learner. She is active on Instagram, where she discusses ideas as well as stories from her life of the Title I teacher. Hi, Elizabeth. Thanks so much for joining us today. To start off, can you share your preferred social media outlet in case people want to follow you? Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I can be found on Instagram at Mrs. P Teaches Three, the number three. Great. Thanks. Yeah. So um, share with us where you're living, where you're teaching, um, and what it's like. And I guess you're in Florida, in Orlando. So can you share with us right. like what it's like to be teaching in Florida? Um, and like your grade level and all that. For sure. So I live in Orlando, Florida, and I teach right outside downtown Orlando, Florida. So considered kind of inner city school. It's funny because I have always lived in the Midwest. I lived in farm towns growing up. So yeah, I, uh, well, I lived in Fairbury, Illinois, small town, and then Southern Missouri, also a small town, and then Nebraska. And I went to college in Nebraska. So hopped all over the Midwest and decided that I was done with the snow. I was done with the wind and (laughs) I ended up in Florida. Yeah. (laughs) So I would say the difference between just the lifestyle with the Midwest and Florida is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Not that it's a bad thing. I mean, it's a little more, it's a little more laid back in Florida. And I feel like the teaching style kind of mirrors that a little bit. It's a little more chill and a little less, Serious is the bad is a bad word to say because serious less serious makes it not sound well, but you know what I mean. <laughs> but, sure. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go right ahead. I was just gonna in that with there's also a lot more cultures in the Orlando area than obviously Nebraska, so yeah, that has added to it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how has that changed? You know, you you being that, I guess that stereotypical mid Midwest <laughs> farmer's daughter, as I'm showing my age by um, quoting a Beach Boys song. Right. Um, yeah. How was that change going, going from the Midwest to the South? It was, oh, it was just different in a good way, if that makes sense. Just being, having more opportunities, having more, restaurant choices when you have a town with a movie theater of one theater and four restaurants you have more options Um, and just getting to experience um, different people that you wouldn't necessarily get to experience in a town of 5,000 you know having more different different more diverse populations so okay now um, share with us what what the what the demographics are of your of your school and your and your school and um, your school community? So my school community is made up of mostly Haitian American, African American, and a good Latino population. A lot of the Latino Latino population happens to be um, Puerto Rican, but there are still other Latino cultures. So um, I would say majority Haitian American, African American, and then also there's also a pretty big um, community. So a lot of language, there's Haitian Creole, there is Spanish and then English 
mix in our community and, and as well as our school. Wow, that's really cool. Um, and you know, coming and I, I kind of went went through kind of the opposite of you coming okay. from California, and I um, and I did my graduate work in in um, Indiana. Oh wow. You know, and so I was, um, there was this culture shock there when, because one of the things that I, that I wanted to do there was to also be a substitute teacher as I was going through graduate school. And I learned a ton about diversity. And in fact, it like opened my, you know, opened my view more. Um, did, did you go through any, any of, of this? Did you, did you get any backlash? Did you, you know, how was that? process? So when I first got the job, I put on my resume, like polite Spanish. Cause I could say like, hello, <laughs> goodbye. Where's the bathroom? And I, oh learned very, <laughs> I learned very fast that that was not very helpful when you have <laughs> after class speaking Spanish. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, backlash, not necessarily. There's a little bit of barriers between okay. parents and me just being able to effectively communicate. And so I would meet a parent and be like, Hablo un poquito espanol, like, (laughs) so just a little bit. um, I've also been aware that because there's a lot of different cultures in my classroom that I need to continue to stay educated and reading books and reading essays about what it's like, the cultural conflicts, because that's one thing I want to avoid is any backlash between not understanding different cultures, so... I'm always trying to be reading. What are you what are you reading currently? I was just looking at the book. So (laughs) I saw you look back at your bookshelf and I was like, okay, she's got (laughs) back there. Yeah. I I just finished Other People's Children by Lisa Delpit. Oh yes. Yes. It's a classic. That was super good. I think I bookmarked the whole entire page. And then I'm currently reading how the other half learns, and it says Equality, Excellence, and the Battle Over School Choice by Robert. On DCO. Hmm. So, okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, so then along along with that, what was your teaching philosophy right before you got there? And then has that, you know, has, has that changed in any way? I would say it's definitely changed because it's become more refined. When I first graduated college, it was very whimsical. Like, I want to be inspiring and helpful and motivating. <laughs> like, that was, like, those were all my buzzwords and my philosophy. And, which is still true. I think every teacher wants to be helpful. When it's yeah. But I didn't really necessarily know how to attack that. I came in my first day, my husband dropped me off because we had one car. And I was like, do I have to go? <laughs> I'm like, yes, you have a job. I stepped in my classroom and was like, how am I going to motivate 18 third graders to um, to learn? But it's become a lot more refined in the way that, oh, I'm backing away from my microphone. I've realized how big relationships are. Um, I would say my philosophy is to create uh, a safe environment. And I use the word safe because with a lot of, children in Title I schools, knowing that the classroom that they're going to is a safe space and the teachers and the adults that they're talking to is are safe adults to talk to and establishing that has helped build those relationships. So once that's gone down and then you can build the relationships. Um, and then I think it, it doesn't matter if you teach Title I or if you teach mm. private school, charter school, I think it's important that and also to understand that 
literally every child is different and individualizing your your learning in order to be motivating and inspiring and helpful as a teacher. That's really cool. How long have you been teaching and like how could you or have you done reflection over the course of that time and how have you noticed that you may have grown as a teacher? I am finishing up my third year of teaching. I would say that I am a person, I, I have write everything down in my notebooks. I literally, every month, I will write January, February, and I'll write, I'll make a T-chart. Mm-hmm. I'm a person who loves to write things down. I get my thoughts out. Um, and I'll put what was working with me in the classroom and what was working with my students. And then, wow. okay, what wasn't working? What was really difficult? What are some things that I need to work on for the next month coming in? And I really think since I adopted that about a year and a half ago, that's when I started to notice more changes in the classroom and more changes in my results with my students. I like that practice a lot. Yeah. And um, we're both teacher educators. So we try to get our students to constantly be reflecting and it's such an important part. And I tell my students, like when you're a teacher, you're going to be so busy and you're going to forget to reflect. And every time you teach a lesson, even if it's as much or as little as putting a post-it on that lesson so that you remember, like, this bombed, don't do this one thing again. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Because next time you go to teach that lesson, you're going to forget about that. And for sure. Yeah, so I like that as, like, a regular practice every month. I think that helps you just kind of refine your pedagogy, but also just look at what is specifically working with your, your students, right? Right. And I think it's, it's easy to know what you're doing wrong and know what's not going well. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it was important to add the, to celebrate the success. This yeah. was working. I do need to continue that and yeah. getting to sit in, whether it's five minutes in the morning, right before the kids come in to, to write that down. So that way you can remember it for mm-hmm. next time. Now, do you um, ask for feedback from your students and it could be anonymous or it could be, I guess, open, but from them, like, what what do you like that I'm doing? What do you dislike that I'm doing? Do you ask them for that? Yes. So when I first started, and I know I, you're probably like, this girl's been a teacher for three years. What do you mean first started? You just started. <laughs> no, but, not at all. Not at all. But, there's always a first start and there's always a current. So, yeah. Right. You can, you're allowed so, to use uh, that phrase. <laughs> so when I first started, I would... I uh, gave them papers every once in a while and I would ask them to reflect on the lesson, but I didn't really model it. And I also was getting feedback like, you're great. I love you, Miss P. You're awesome. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I want that constructive criticism. And yeah. I realized that it's more converse. So they react better when it's conversational. So mm-hmm. um, let's go Friday or we have some free time and we all sit around and then they'll tell me or we'll, I'll ask them about this like, what do you think of the distributive property? And they're like, it's not fun. I don't like it. And just getting to have them, I get more of their personality and their opinions when, when I have that conversational. Um, yeah. With them. I think you make a good point about it needing to be modeled because I think if they've never been asked, they right. feel like they have to be positive and be kind because, you know, manners. But if they've right. never really been involved in that process of providing constructive criticism and providing feedback to their peers or even to their teacher, they just don't know how to do it. 
Right. So those conversations to an adult. Yeah, exactly. Especially to an adult. Because most adults are like, because I'm an adult and I say so. Right. (laughs) Which is okay sometimes. (laughs) But (laughs) yeah. You know, and, and one of the things that oftentimes we as teachers, we don't realize is that every day is a new day. Every day is a brand new opportunity. Um, you know, every day we're, we're going to have a kid that's, that's going through something new. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so that's why I don't, I don't put a lot of emphasis on the number of years of teaching, because as we know, there's a lot of teachers out there that have been teaching for 20 plus years that we don't want them teaching our own kids. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, I, I think one of the things that, that we could learn from from what you're doing is that you're staying active. You know, you're mm-hmm. you're you're reading things, you're you're jotting down notes, you're 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 reflecting. Um, and so I would just say keep it up. But I do agree with that one child that says that the distributed property is is <laughs> I agree with them. Um, oh. but <laughs> going going on to that, how how has your love of math? Because as uh, when we when when we asked people to to write their bio, you were you were talking about how much you love math, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. I'm not going to downgrade math. Great, <laughs> it's awesome. But but how how has your love for math in, in influenced how you teach the other subject with, within third grade? Right. So I've always, I was that kid who loved math and I've always loved uh, teaching math. I came into the school and looked at the data and realized how far behind my students were. Um, And as a third grade teacher, there's a good majority of kids coming in out of first grade math ability with second grade math ability. So, and then even some of the students have third grade math ability. So the, the ability range was, was all over the place. And I was able to realize, well, in third grade, you have to teach multiplication and division. And for some students who haven't even mastered their addition fluency, it's kind of like, how am I going to teach these students how to multiply if they can't tell me addition off the the bat because you're supposed to introduce multiplication as repeated addition. And I was able to realize that having manipulatives and letting them touch it and letting them see it and drawing pictures was able, I was able to teach math easier. So if I was teaching them four times five and they got to see four rows of five of fruit loops or whatever, they were able to pick that up. And once I, I always knew it. I read the, the textbooks in college and I knew they're like, use manipulatives, like be engaging. And so I knew that, but once they actually saw, like, they actually wanted to do math. They're like, can we do the Fruit Loops again? And <laughs> having them motivated to learn and also understanding, especially for, like we are mentioning, the distributive property is such an abstract concept. And when you have third graders and even older that, that are still in such a concrete stage, um, it's, it's hard to teach certain concepts. So being seeing the results in math, I was inspired to go beyond that and, okay, how can I do that in science? How can I do that in reading? How can I do that in writing? And that changed me as a teacher after seeing that the students are such concrete thinkers and they love to touch and they love their, their visual more than their auditory. Um, seeing that, okay, so when we're doing readings, they're going to read with a partner or we're going to get up and we're going to walk around the classroom 
one of my favorite Instagram accounts is Joe Dabrowski, and he has a couple of oh. playlists, and he has a playlist of classroom vibes, is what he calls it, and it's RuPaul's playlist, and we'll play that, and the kids are like, this is so fun, and they're, we're talking about main idea and, deep, and key details, but they're bopping around the classroom, or just getting them to pick up and touch those graphic organizers, and just being yeah. able to manipulate with reading. Um, I've seen that has been so much more helpful. Sounds like you're really doing well with integrating the learning preferences, like the multiple intelligence learning styles preferences. Right. Um, Do you have like a favorite unit that you've done or a favorite lesson that the kids really responded positively to that just kind of stands out to you over the, over the years? Um, I would have to say my multiplication and division unit. I think it's, been so fun because they feel so excited that they can mm-hmm. they've learned a completely new concept. Um, I would say there's a there's a book and it's when the doorbell rings and it's about cookies getting more cookies and then mm-hmm. another person shows up and they have to share the cookies and another person up comes shows up and they have to share more cookies so I bought co- cookie crisps and getting to like divide out those cookies as the story goes on and like I said with the fruit loops it's Mm-hmm. It's the, I feel like it's the easiest one to be able to manipulate and um, have fun with. And that always seems to be an exciting unit for the kids because it's so, it's so hands-on before yeah. we move towards the, the paper. Now you said that you share on your Instagram, like your students work and your lessons and stuff like that. Do you have, does your district allow you to share like pictures of your students on your social media or do you try to cut that out on it? I choose to cut it out. Um, mm-hmm. I know you have to have consent forms. Yeah. So to the best of my, well, I mean, I definitely, I don't include any pictures of the faces or yeah. anything like that, just mm-hmm. to allow for their privacy. And um, in my school, there's a high mobility rate. So getting oh. in contact with parents and keeping those yeah. kids just to have all those forms. I'm like, you know what? Forget it. Mm-hmm. Maybe a finger of pinky will be showing in a picture <laughs> or a pair of jeans in the background. But yeah, yeah I don't, I don't show <laughs> students yeah. just the work. So, you know, and, and, you know, I was just looking over your um, Instagram page and it's, and it's obvious that you're well connected. And so how is this going for you? And then how, Ooh. you know, during this time of COVID and then how, how are your, how are your students and how, how are your families doing? So it's kind of all over the place. Um, some of the parents are essential workers, so they're going into work every day. Other parents are at home quite a bit, quite a bit. So it's it's kind of it's case by case with each student and family how they're doing. Um, it's definitely been hard. I can tell it's been hard on me. It's been hard on the parents. It's been hard on the kids. I. I love all my parents, but I miss talking to eight-year-olds daily. <laughs> I, I love the parents. I love talking to them and staying in contact with them, but I, I definitely miss um, getting to have that that interaction with them. I've noticed that students that I had trouble staying in contact with and families, it's continued that case is almost, it's only multiplied and, and worsened as this mm-hmm. has gone on and parents and families that I've stayed in contact with during the school year, it's stayed very consistent. So that's good. Have you taught online before? Or do you use the online platforms in your teaching before you had to move online? I never had have taught online. This was, Oh no. 
the newest thing to me. The mm. only thing I did have was class dojo where I stayed in contact with parents. Yeah. But this was a new ballpark for me for sure. So what platform are you guys using though? We do a mixture of online packets being okay. sent out by the district. And sometimes I will like a zoom or mm-hmm. big blue button with students over certain concepts. And then from there, it's kind of all over the place. We have some district websites like iReady and Study Island. Okay. We could push lessons towards students to work that way. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just a, a mod podge of <laughs> yeah. what works best for some parents. And some parents are like, you know what? Packets aren't going to work for me. I'm going to do online. Like, go for it. And some parents will be like, you know what? I want the packets. I don't want to mess with online. Like, all right, mm-hmm. let's do it. I just want to make sure I meet what works best for families at this time. Yeah, so your differentiating skills are really uh, put to the test now. Right, they're really <laughs> being tested, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, so so how is this um, how is this process stretching you? It's stretching, stretching me. It's forcing me to be even more patient than I thought was possible. I thought, like, I thought I was, like, pretty patient, but having to... Um, just not having, having everyone, have everyone, all my students in front of me. And I've been having to work on, um, being patient where I like, okay, like at, at two o'clock, I will explain a concept. And then at two 30, I'll explain that same concept. And at three o'clock, I'll explain that same concept and just having to work with, uh, every half hour for someday, I'll be teaching the same elapsed time problem over and over again. Mm. Um, but it's, it's also stretched me in, I think, having even more grace. I thought I had grace with, with my families, but truly understanding that during this time, it's so uncertain and literally nobody has experience in what's going on right now. Yeah. So understanding that if a parent doesn't answer my phone call for a week, then I have to assume like, I'm not going to be like, Oh, they're just not answering my phone call. Well, X, Y, and Z could be going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's, that's difficult because um, I think what's, what's different is, Malia and I have been have been teaching online for a number of years. Okay. So we've we kind of know how to do this and how to blah blah blah. Um, what what communication have have you re- received from your from your administrators for this upcoming fall? It is still in the air. Um, there was a survey that went out from our district asking what do parents and teachers prefer, and there was. Four options. I want to return. I want to return to the schools with safety measures in, in practice. I want to. The second one was, I want to continue distance learning. I want to continue blended. And then the fourth one was unsure. So we don't really have an answer for the fall. It's just they're trying to take in parents and teachers' considerations. And at this moment, we're kind of in a limbo. We're not sure. Will we go back on time? Will it be blended? Will we be distance learning? Will school be starting later? It's, yeah, it's very unsure right now still. That's challenging as an educator to try to plan for that because for someone like you who's never taught online before, using the summer would be an ideal time to plan to put your work online, which a lot of teachers obviously work through the summer to prep and plan and create stuff anyway. But like the ambiguity creates a whole nother set of issues because as you know, like you can't just take what you'd normally do in your classroom and put it online. Like that's not how it works. Right. Teaching style is so different. Mm -hmm. I can't put that online right right away. So 
Yeah. So do they have any idea as to when they're going to have a decision made or? I'm not sure of either. Hmm. It's still, yeah. it's still up in the air, which yeah, it's hard interim summer. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a type one in the Enneagram, which is a person who's like super organized and go, go, go. So I'm like, all right, like time to start planning for next school year. <laughs> and I feel like I'm just yeah. still in the limbo. Like, okay, yeah. I guess I'll just sit here and drink my coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Or, or plan for both, but that's twice as much work. So, yeah. right. Yeah. See, and, and, and it's, 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 it's funny because we're, we, we are in this, in this state of limbo and there's been a lot of administrators that are reaching out to other administrators. Um, mm-hmm. There's this one principle that we've, that we've had here uh, that's, that's been part of our podcast where they're, He's and he's a principal in South South Dakota, and they're going to kind of like a block type of hybrid schedule. Oh wow! Where it's like Monday, Wednesday, some people come in Tuesday, Thursday, others others come in, and they're and they're they're planning on opening up. But yeah, it's very much modified. And I'm sure it's oh sorry, I think no, no, it's no, really no. hard in my district because it's a it's an incredibly large district incredibly large district and you have such a vast majority of, of students in economic status. So the higher economic status as well as the lower economic status. And I would be panicked to make that decision because it seems safer, safer to continue digital, but for students like my, in my classroom, they're not receiving their best education because of the, their, their ability to access yeah. online. Yeah. And it's a challenge for parents too, or I guess home um, guardians, where if they are essential or if they are going back to work and then their child is, you know, going to be learning from home, like, how do you, how do you navigate that? Like, how do you, how do you provide the resources for your child while you also have to go to work? Um, Right. There's a lot of things to consider that create a lot of other problems. And at least we don't have to make those decisions. That's not up to us. Right. That's one thing. There's a lot of decisions I have to make, but it's nice that that's not mine. Yep. That's why they make the big box. Exactly. We'll just uh, Monday morning, Monday morning quarterback it. And, uh, exactly. And what's, what's fascinating about this whole thing is that it seems like our college sports are going to be dictating a lot of this. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, and that's what's so. You know, I can't. You know, I that's don't want to say that's not that surprising, that. though, Fred. I because mean, you are from Florida, <laughs> and yeah. you know, part of the ACC and the SEC, and right. You know, and oh my gosh, I'm just going. Ah. My husband's in sports radio and that's what they talk about about every morning. They're like, so do you think college football will be back on? And I'm from Nebraska yeah. where Huskers football is like a religion. And you're like, all right, yeah. you guys got to wear masks so we can have Husker football this fall. Like, it's, Yeah, it's I think sport. I think my Indiana Hoosiers beat yeah. last year. So. Oh, this is embarrassing. End of call. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing reception. I got to go. <laughs> Breaking up. <laughs> um. So, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that we often ask is if you had a magic wand for, for your own kids, for your own school community, how would you use it and why? When I read that, that was such a good question. It's like, oh, that's such a good question. I think two things I would, especially right now, I would 
my magic wand would allow all of my students to have proper access to technology with the, the right computers and iPads in order to get a hold of everyone and, and communicate effectively. And also, my school does a wonderful job with language barriers. We have a lot of paraprofessionals as well as uh, administration who speak many languages, but I don't know what my magic wand would do, but I make it change somehow so those parents would know and not be afraid to come into contact and have that conversation. So I'm not sure how that would happen, but <laughs> if I could figure it out. That's why it's magic. You don't have to explain it. <laughs> exactly. I don't do any of the work. It just does it for me. Yeah. I like that. That's that's cool. Um, and then our final question as we wrap things up was we like to ask um, our guests what your call to action is and if you could have other future educators or current educators to take something away like from you, what what would that be? I think my call to action would be to tell, especially future educators, to not be afraid of Title I. I think there's a lot of connotations given to those schools. Like, it's super hard. It's super rough. It's super scary. And it's really not. It's it's so fun. And I, and I know it's so cliche, but it's so rewarding. I know nobody goes into this profession wanting to have all the glory, but you know you're not, you're truly not getting anything in return from these kids. And the work you put in and the consistency you put in, and it's, it's, it's such, I can't even put it into words. I love, I love the kids. I love the community. I love what I do. And I wish uh, more teachers would see that positive yeah. side of Title I schools. Awesome. That's great. <laughs> well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today and thanks for sharing your work with us. And um, we look forward to following you on Instagram and seeing all the cool things you're doing with your students. Hopefully, if you get to get back there with them right. physically. Um, and then, of course, send other educators our way if you think someone would be a good guest for us. For sure. Thank you for so much for having this conversation with me. Thanks, yes, Elizabeth. Our pleasure. Yeah.